0: Back on the show today is Mr. Paul Goranson. Paul is the Chief Executive Officer at Encore Energy. The company is a United States in-situ recovery focused uranium development and near-term production capable company with various stage projects spread across Texas, Wyoming, South Dakota, New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, and Utah. Within the project portfolio is core projects at Rosita, Texas, Dewey Burdock, South Dakota, and Gas Hills, Wyoming. Encore is a uranium portfolio company at Smith Weekly Research as well as within our elite service. Encore Energy is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol EU and also on the US OTC Markets under the symbol ENCUF. Mr. Goranson, welcome back to the program. How are you, sir?
1: I'm doing just fine. Thanks for having me back and Happy New Year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Happy New Year to you, Paul, and looks like things are kicking off with fireworks. They're still bursting in air over the skies here, and so uh looks like it's going to be an interesting 2022 on a lot of fronts, inclusive of uranium markets. Well, let's kick it off here. How about an update on the recently closed Arzaga transaction, and with both new holders and existing holders of Encore now in there, what can they expect over the course of the year?
1: Well, we've already hit the ground running, so currently, we've um, we're continuing to execute our plan at Rosita. Uh, we're also, you know, bringing it. We started drilling out there in November, and we're gonna we're starting to build towards uh, starting of uh, installing well fields at Rosita and also at uh, one of our other projects in South Texas, and call the Upper Spring Creek project, as well as completing the capital program at Rosita. We're also going to be kicking off the permitting and licensing process for the Gas Hills project to take that project from being effectively a proposed uh, project to actual execution. So that'll start this year. And we're going to continue to advance the uh, Dewey Burdock project, getting all the government approvals completed and begin the the first part of uh, developing it, hopefully in 2023. Looking forward to this year, it's going to be a very busy year as we bring all these uh execute on all these uh programs going forward
0: lots of things happening paul and you bill and the rest of the team there have been able to juggle so many things at the same time which uh quite frankly there's very few companies who have in this sector that have actually been able to do that successfully a lot of them stalling out a lot of them uh, not delivering on promises that they've made for years uh proud to say you guys are not one of them How about uh, current uranium market conditions here, Paul? Uh, Some of the events recently, uh, maybe just speak to maybe over the last 30, maybe 60 days, some things actually predicted by you, at least partially predicted on a number of months ago, is uh, potentially transpiring in Kazakhstan, a pretty sticky set of events that will impact certainly the question of certainty and diversity of supply. And uh, will possibly leave even more impacts, depending on how it goes. But uh, comments on the Kazakhs and other uh, sector events recently.
1: As everybody's been following, the news out of Kazakhstan has been uh, that of a bit surprising with respect to the uh, riots and the uh, the the revolt, so to speak, uh, depending on who's narrating the discourse at the time. But you know we hear it's called a, you know there was a coup. But also that uh, we hear there's riots and the Russians and others had to be brought in to help stabilize the country. Kazatomprom, which is the the government-owned entity that's been producing uranium there, has uh, stated that they've had no interruptions in their production, but uh, they may have further delays that could be coming out due to supply chain issues resulting from COVID. But also, I would you know one cannot be can't discount the fact that uh, the transportation issues and everything else that have occurred. Uh, Could only impact their supply chain as well, and so I see that going forward. Uh, and you're right. I, you know, we did discuss this in the past about the uh, the uncertainty around Kazakhstan and its business model. You know, the way it's been running business, based on all the messaging coming out of the Kazakh government, it does not seem to be that it's going to be business as usual. Uh, there will be some significant changes. Uh, they've, there's discussions of increased taxing on on money companies, but also a restructure of the primary owner of Kazatomprom through uh, the, the sovereign wealth fund. There, I'm taking more of a wait and see attitude. But it's most interesting looking at it is the fact that uh, the Russians have basically picked their winner over there, and that's the current government and uh, the the former government represented by President uh, former President Nazarbayev uh, has. The, it appears that there there's quite a bit of house cleaning that's going on. And those are significant players in the buildup of uh, Kazatomprom and the Kazakh industry. And uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how things play out over the next few months. other factors in the market that are going on, as you know, the big news last year was Sprott and the the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust. I still think that's still got a role to play in the market going forward. Uh, Everything's kind of slowed down right now. The spot market's gotten relatively quiet, but and there seems to be a sentiment that's you know it's somehow not a you know good sign where it's kind of leveled out. But I'll I'll remind our listeners that uh, where were we were a year ago, we were ten dollars pound less a year ago. Three years ago, we were probably even you know twenty dollars less than where we are today. So we're at a good benchmark right now, and if we believe that this is the floor, I think we've got uh, a lot of opportunity going forward as as we expect. Demand to continue to increase, uh, as production, even with prices in the forties, we haven't seen any increases in price and production around the world. Everything that's going to, to feed the, uh, the current spot market is basically coming from either committed material or inventory material going forward. Lots of opportunities for improving market conditions. That also coupled with the fact that we know that putting all your eggs in one basket, that is, uh, delivering out of uh, one particular country that uh, shows that you know, there are some risks there going forward. So lots of opportunities going forward in the market. And obviously, I think it's going to be a, a situation where we're going to have rising waters and all the boats are going to be floating.
0: Certainly agree with these boats. Uh, you know, not all of them are yachts. Some of them are dinghies. Some of them have holes. Some are leaking. Lots of different uh, classes of vessels out there floating around, as you know, Paul. And yeah, with Spuddy. We'll see what happens with Spuddy in this uh, New York listing and also some of these rebalancing that'll happen with some of the ETFs. And Kazakhstan, depending on what happens, which I think it's too early to fully figure this one out, but will the West be put on notice? And, and will some of the Western operators in that country be put on notice? And will some of the other arrangements also become all of a sudden not so safe as they were deemed? Let's put it that way. And then it puts pressure on other jurisdictions, right? Where You've got Australia and you've got places like Namibia and Niger uh, to some extent and Canada, North America becoming maybe the places that are maybe of more choice. And so it it is interesting here. It's going to highlight a number of issues. And I think there's a lot of surprises yet to come out of this. So we'll see what happens. Talk about term contracting for a moment, Paul, and, and we'll get into the company specific stuff on this in a moment, but just broad term contracting activity. You know, there's a little bit of feelers out there as far as, you know, some RFPs and, and some things that happened, a little bit of activity, but still fairly quiet. What are you hearing and seeing out there?
1: I would characterize it like you did. It was a, um, the term market is, is still rather uh, tentative at this moment. In other words, uh, there's a few RFPs that come out from large utilities. That have been coming out into the market, Uh, a few contracts have been taken up, but it's not the robust uh, base escalated contracting that uh, we've seen in past up markets where pricing uh, reflects the, uh, you know, those base escalated pricing are are reflecting uh, operational costs plus, you know, additional revenues. So it's still got a ways to go. The the one thing that a fuel buyer doesn't get rewarded for is to be upside down on pricing. So in other words, to go out and sign a contract with with a premium pricing on it, and the underlying basis for that premium pricing doesn't deliver, and then they, it's it's a negative on that uh, fuel buyer's budget, et cetera. So since most of the utilities have signaled that they have sufficient inventories and sufficient deliveries coming in to satisfy their needs to effectively through twenty twenty three that there's not a a sense of uh, crisis yet to go out and do a whole bunch of flood the market with requests for proposals to start term contracting today. That's not to say they won't be doing it over the near term. I'm just saying that uh, based on my conversations with the the utilities, they're just not uh, a crisis mode yet. In fact, the worst thing they wanna do is make a commitment when there's uncertainties in the market. So the last uncertainty we had was the Sprott uh, physical trust coming in and buying up uranium and increasing the price? Uh, there's a sense that if they start putting pressure on the market, particularly in the out years, that could create uh, higher cost for the utilities. So they're going to wait. They're kind of wait and see what spot does over the next period of time, particularly after they get their NYSE listing. Also, the uncertainty out of Kazakhstan. No one really knows what that means today. Uh, what's that going to mean in a year? since they're not a, a crisis mode yet, they have time to evaluate those risks. And there'll be something else that comes up that uh, pushes it out a little bit, those decision-making factors going out a little further. So the utilities are actually putting on RFPs and accepting deals right now are the ones that are going to get the best deals, I think, going forward. I think it's as people wait, wait out the market and uh, wait for uh, more, quote-unquote, certain conditions that uh, they're going to end up missing the better buying opportunities. I think the first movers are, are going to be rewarded over a period of time. And I, I would say that uh, the feedback I've gotten from the utilities is that uh, the one thing is where the spot price is now relative to the cost of production. It's becoming an easier conversation to have for base escalated pricing or you know higher ceilings on market-based contracts now than it would have been a year ago. But we're not at the point where they're willing to put a premium on that secure supply right at the moment because obviously it appears there's an appearance that there's plenty of material out there based on the lack of movement in the spot market. So everybody, nobody wants to be second guessed on either side of the tables. You know, there's always a concern about leaving money on the table as well. So it's going to take a little bit more time. And there's going to be a whole lot more conversations with utility fuel buyers that we'll have, the rest of the industry will have as well.
0: Yeah, it seems like there certainly remains to be a perceived comfort level out there in the market with regards to term. And I suspect that it's going to be a, a situation where that comfort is there all the way to the last second before the rug gets pulled. You know, yeah. So we'll see what happens. Um, there's certainly some parties that are uh, looking early to do things. And I think that's pretty evident uh, if you look at some certain utilities who have been a little more proactive about that. The better deals are to be had now rather than later. How about M&A stuff? Paul, you guys have been, perhaps uh, some would argue about this, but really in my view here, you guys have been the most active with respect to meaningful M&A work actually executed. Why is Encore in your eyes, more successful on this front over others? And what can investors expect 2022 on this front?
1: I, I would call the uh, the completion of the Azarga uh, transaction is, uh, is huge. But it takes a little bit of boldness to get there, not a little bit, a lot. You know, that success is driven by experience. And with uh, the team we have, uh, particularly our executive chairman, Bill Sheriff, who's shown success in doing the M&A transactions in the past, a a good model for that is what uh, was done with Energy Metals. It requires a bit of bold, quite a bit of bold leadership and a good one. You know, we we picked up the, uh, the Westwater assets. Uh, which a lot of people in the past have basically uh, discounted significantly uh, due to their age and uh, levels of depletion. But what he knew, and what the company decided to do, was that we need that the one that wins is the one that has the ability to leverage a market. In the uranium mining sector, having licensed and permanent facilities is is the fastest way to get that leverage. And. Uh, so we were able to build that transform the company from being effectively a property or an exploration company to being an actual near-term producer. Now, I would say that uh, we've had to do additional acquisitions uh, to get there, both in properties as well as uh, you know near-term production assets in Texas, to be able to build a portfolio to support that, those license facilities. It fundamentally transferred the company, and we can see from the, the equity side that the, the market rewarded us for that transaction. We were able to use leverage that success, plus our other known resources, which is our experience of doing these, and actually leverage that to build out the, uh, the acquisition of Azarga as a company. And so we, you know, it took a lot of work to get there, but uh, it does show that we have the ability to demonstrate success and provide that uh, performance there. I think that uh, strengthens our hand going forward. We'll always be looking for opportunities, but I think what distinguishes Encore from others is that we're not picking up dri- just small projects or acquiring properties that uh, other people don't want or discarding and using that to build a portfolio built around effectively pounds in the ground. We're building our our company around actually being a producing company supported by the pounds that are on ground, uh, not looking to, you know, just basically build up a whole bunch of assets and look to sell to somebody else. We think we're going to be able to carry that uh, strength going forward, and we'll continue to look for opportunities where where they make sense and are creative to what we're doing right now.
0: Paul, I certainly agree with a lot of the things you said, and I think one of the things that may have been overlooked here is I think the personalities that are involved in these M&A work is absolutely critical, and the Encore team has the proper set of personalities and people behind it that, in my view, and have proven into the market that this is a exceptional additional asset that you guys have is your intellectual know-how and the personalities that come with the team versus a number of other management teams that are stuck on themselves or can only see one way tunnel vision, uh, aren't creative enough and don't have the personality to be able to deal with the other personalities on the counterparty side. I think that's a huge, huge component here and I think a lot of folks are lacking in that category and so far it's proven out to be true maybe uh, money will change that but still it's a value proposition. Uh, Performance wise I need to point this out you know so far in this cycle the best equity performance has been on core energy by a notable margin going back from the cycle lows around two pennies per share to a recent high of about 214 per share and credit to the overall strategy and execution is a big part of this and the people How do you keep this momentum going as the company grows as the cycle matures and as the market rewards those proper strategies needed to take advantage of the later stages
1: that's always the rub right so as you get bigger as you begin to basically increase the size and the strength of the company the the number of i would say m a targets become much more selective at that point so easy wins uh, become more of a challenge so you've got to look for the ones the wins that are going to be there are going to actually get you to the end result that makes sense as you look forward what's the next potential target i see a lot of people in various mess you know twitter and everything else su- have lots of suggestions where the next target is Though well, those are possibilities but there may be other ones that uh, we're not talking about that may be more creative and and uh may maybe. be uh uh, bring us uh, to a larger tier scale and change our, our whole peer profile. But it gets a lot more challenging at the moment because, you know, you know you look where our market cap is relative to our peers. Uh, we're starting to get into a, a much smaller peer size group uh, based on our market cap. And so that creates, uh, you have to look for the what's going to be the best opportunity that's going to build your strength without diluting your strategy. So, you know, as I've said, our strategy is to become the newest ISR producer in the U.S., premier and uh, an ISR dominant production scale company, which means that uh, there's some areas we won't be competing in, which is like with conventional assets and other things, because that would dilute our strategy and dilute our focus. Again, we begin to narrow our potential M&A target group from a much broader group to something a little bit more narrow. You know, we, we focus in the U.S., which creates a narrower group, but also... We're not ruling out you know, uh, international opportunities as they present themselves. So it's just that our expertise, our, our strengths have uh, been focused in the domestic world uh, rather than uh, international basis. So even though our team has international experience, it's just that our operating experience is really strong in the U.S. and North America. Again, we're, we're continuing to advance our strategy based on executing our plan. And we're doing it, at, and doing carrying a lot of balls at once. We're currently, so far, we haven't dropped any. Uh, I think that we'll be able to carry it forward. And uh, but uh, it does, as you you know, as you meet these milestones and, and hit these achievements, you're always moving up. So as you know, the next bar becomes a little bit higher, and that's what we're focusing on.
0: The development, production, and also uh, some exploration upside, I think, is also a key part here, which you guys mm-hmm. have clearly included here, a production development side. That's critical. And a good guy for the job there, of course, to take care of that as well. So good on you for the efforts and managing the time, because I know it's uh, pretty well pressed every day. On the yeah. uh, the general and administrative matters, Paul, I want to talk about a few things here for a moment. But can you update the listeners on where we are with the capital structure of the company post this Arzaga transaction? In terms of shares out, where you guys sit with cash on hand, and also if you can note some of them major shareholders post transaction,
1: okay, as far as cash on
0: hand, we have approximately fifteen million Canadian
1: uh, equivalent and cash and equivalents. so we count our hundred thousand pounds of uranium as uh, liquid, and uh, for that cash and equivalent, you know we had obviously when you do a transaction like we did, uh, there's some cash flow that goes out uh, as a process, so we've been talking about fifteen, twenty million roughly, uh, and we're down to about fifteen million, which covers our, you know, basically our base plan going forward for 2022. Uh, it doesn't give us a lot of uh, upside to do more than what we plan to do, but for the moment, uh, we're we're in good shape as far as our outstanding shares, I believe. Approximately just under 300 million shares outstanding and issued, about 330 million fully diluted. I haven't gone through to do a full uh, a census of our shareholders. Uh, we know that uh, there's a few shareholders like L2 uh, that uh, was a big shareholder within Encore as well as the ZARGA that came along. And a few others uh, that, uh, and some of the ETFs have, have uh, combined their, their shareholdings in us. But I haven't got. I'll be honest with you. We, we need to go back and do another census on on the, uh, the the institutional holders and large holders. Keep in mind we're only 13 days post transaction, so I should have a better answer to it next time we talk
0: appreciate the information on where we are uh, capital structure and some updates that'll come out on that as we move forward here and then also tied in with this, there'll be probably some cap structure changes with this NASDAQ listing. Talk about that for just a moment. How's it coming along and do you have a rough uh, expected completion for that? So it's
1: coming along well. We've, we submitted the application late November. Uh, we're going through uh, responding to that, the, the exchange's questions. They have several questions on the structure of the company, et cetera, both pre- and post-listing. We, we have not set any kind of ratio yet. on a, Obviously, we're going to have to meet the thresholds, which, based on our current share price, uh, will require a, a consolidation. Uh, but to the level of consolidation hasn't been settled yet. So uh, we'll have to do a reverse split. But as to what that number is, what that ratio is, uh, we haven't determined yet and I'll be determined close, as we get closer and closer to getting that listing uh, and getting a target. We're still shooting for, we'd love to have it done by the end of the month, uh, but I think we've been guiding to Q1. I think that's the, the safe as the outside date is Q1, but we would uh, really love to get it done as soon as we can this month. But we, we can only go as fast as the exchange goes.
0: Yeah, it sounds good, Paul, and appreciate uh, your guys' efforts on that. I think uh, as the cycle matures here, I think it's the right thing to do as the company grows. And to be honest with you, there's not a lot of companies that are looking at exchange uplists, which I think you guys have followed a strategy here that makes a lot of sense based on your size, based on market conditions. And we'll see if some others wake up and follow suit on the coattails of the Encore strategy, if you will. How about term agreements that have been announced uh, for the company? Most recently, there was a second one. All this coming out of the prospective production centers of the company. Last one that we saw was going to commence in 2024, if I recall. And I have a good idea who that buyer is, but talk about the terms where you can, of course, and give us a flavor for what you think uh, for the company's production profile and the company's cost profile. What do you think is reasonable when you guys talk about prices?
1: First of all, the, uh, we got we have the two agreements. Uh, we announced the UGE agreement, that is a total of two million pounds uh, cumulative over a period of five years. It's a very good contract. It's market based solely. There's no floors, no ceilings. There's ability to deliver into from non-produced pounds. Obviously, we have to pay. We'll have to provide them a little bit more of a discount on that, but I can tell you that the terms are excellent uh, and the flexibility it provides. Uh, gave us the conf, gave me the confidence to get the go ahead to start building out the, the facilities to go to production. The second agreement, which we announced, was with a domestic utility, large utility, and that's also market based. As I mentioned to you earlier, we haven't been able to get a point to where we can establish uh, base escalated pricing, which are within our where we see prices need to be to incentivize production. So. We've been comfortable doing the market ones if the the, the counterparty is, and uh, we did establish this one in place. It is a, a market-based pricing, but there is a ceiling to it. But it's a it's a decently high ceiling uh, that gets us, uh, particularly where we expect our production costs to be in the you know the the, the, the in the 30s uh, mid 30s right now. We we'll see how things shake out with the current inflationary things we see on the horizon, but uh, certainly will remain profitable uh, even at that ceiling uh, that's established. Uh, Currently, obviously, we've got a lot of room on the spot price right now to get to that ceiling, so I'm pretty comfortable where they're at. It provides another 1.3 million pounds of demand. The accomplishment these two contracts do is at least they, they take care of our first, well, at least the first three years of production. Basically, they consume all of our demand needs, and so it gives us some tremendous flexibility for the next round of RFPs coming out. When the next one comes out, we could stand to wait for a little bit higher pricing, et cetera. And it really, we have a good, strong book to get us kicked off. And it gives us uh, the ability to establish uh, uh, what do we believe is conditions for future contracting with other utilities or even extending the ones we have now. I, I think we're good for that and uh, we'll be able to see good cash flow and, and profits uh, once we start delivering
0: these. I interpret these as basically the sustaining contracts that are needed to get comfortable. And then I suspect with the production profile and the anticipated future pipeline of the company, that a lot of leverage is going to carry in future contracts that you guys are going to get into. And then also it leaves you still uncovered for some of the pipeline as well. This establishes to get you guys comfortable. And then from here, things are going to get more sweet, if you will.
1: The, the other thing is is that it does, uh, you know, the, some companies out there that, that are 100% tied to contracts, I think Cameco, for all their 100% of production, I think Cameco has been very clear that that's their strategy. And there's others that uh, prefer to stay completely unhedged to the market. I think that's uh, the proper term that's been used. And uh, we kind of fall in the middle of that. Not that I'm looking for middle grounds, but uh, I like to have... I've been doing this type of production profile before when I was with other companies. And establishing a good base source of demand gives you a lot of flexibility on the upside and and doesn't preclude you from picking up the tops and the peaks and everything else, but allows you a good source of revenue. And when there are always times in the spot market when there's no demand or the demand you put material into the market, it's the wrong time of the month, so to speak that this allows us the ability to deliver and be delivering reflecting the market rather than basically chasing a spot price at the wrong time.
0: Yeah, I think this works really well. And again, there are some other components here that we haven't talked about though, as to why you would do these things. You know, to your comment about some of the folks who like to remain unhedged, while that is true with some that have a good strategy, that comment about remaining unhedged is also a cover for we can't get a contract, so we're just going to remain unhedged. <laughs> Um, you're no new party to this particular event in terms of how you go about structuring these things, and neither is Bill on this topic i you know maybe just talk a little bit more about what you see going forward here in terms of the production profile at Encore. Obviously, there's a growth pipeline here with some numbers yet to be determined, but uh you know speak a little bit more to you, you know what your thoughts are on optimal mix of term contracts, what kind of uncovered exposure you would think works for a company like Encore and the, the growth pipeline that's, that's to be included in this cycle, you know, as compared to someone who maybe is a, a much larger producer and the fact that uh, smaller quantities can certainly be leaked into the spot market without much people really paying attention to that when volumes step up here, Paul. But talk about mix for Encore and where you guys see where the leverage is really going to kick in we've
1: been kind of messaging to the market that over the next five years, we want to be between have a production capacity of between three and a half to 5 million pounds per year. And that, yeah, that's from all sources. Uh, Obviously that's a, uh, I would call an aspirational range. So the reality is we want to be able to, uh, and my preference would be to build our our contract book, to be able to sustain that type of uh, production capacity, to about, at least on a contracting basis, to about, you know, assuming it's a mix of market-related and base-escalated pricing of about 60 to 70% of our production capacity. If it's strictly base-escalated, it's gonna be, or, you know, fixed pricing or stuff like that, it would be something on the order of 50% where you have upside with the spot market. But I'm comfortable with market-related contracts to be able to, to expand that uh, contract book out to 60 to 70% of our capacity, production capacity giving us ability to deliver in the spot market if we exceed those numbers uh, without impacting our our sales on our contracts. But that gives you the flexibility and the upside, so you have some, the one thing you want to have is the ability to not have to produce 100% of your capacity to meet your contracts. That's what this gives us flexibility to do. I look at it from a revenue basis, I want to be able to have enough revenue. Coming out on an annual basis sustain operations and capital programs as we need to to meet those production uh, targets, but also uh, be able to provide a return coming back in so that we have positive cash flow coming in uh, it gives us opportunities to grow and or uh, provide uh, returns back to hopefully back to our shareholders at that point. Uh, that's why I always like to have a little bit of open ended on the top end of our production capacity over what we contract because it gives you that flexibility to flex up and flex down as you need to without affecting your your committed deliveries.
0: Assuming you guys execute on this, it also provides uh, that type of platform provides the ability to survive, potentially also survive in a bear market, which, uh, as you know, looking back at the last cycle, uh, that survival rate was pretty poor, mostly because folks did not take that approach that you've uh, outlined carefully here. And I think that's also a part is sustainability in the operations and actually having a view that this company is gonna be an operating company and it's gonna survive through, which uh, I don't see that many folks figured that out during the last cycle. How about uh, some of the project updates here, Paul, before we uh, wrap up? Understand. There's some. There's going to be some upgrades of historic resources uh, to current 43101 standards. What do you think will be some of the first uh, updates that you guys will be working on on this front, and what projects will be the first focus for these updates, and also the timing? And then uh, I want to come back to Rosita and Gas Hills for a moment. Yeah. So we're we're focusing on
1: some uh, assets that we're not currently. Well, we we are currently advancing. So right now we're we're going to be upgrading updating the uh, the or putting out, a, uh, expected to put out a 4301 on our Butler Ranch properties. We were going to plan to do a drilling program there, uh, but after we started going through the quality of data and the level of data we already have, it uh, became very clear that with the drilling densities and everything that were uh, that were carried forward by the prior owners, uh, that we did not need to go out and do a whole bunch of drilling because we have core analysis, we actually have lab work and everything else on that data. It's the first time it's all been brought together because we had the database required from Westwater, but also we had our own database we brought in. We are able to bring that in together and create the information necessary to be able to support a technical report for the Butler Ranch property. We're also looking at other some assets that aren't located in Texas and upgrading those as well to 431 one on resources because we need to know what we have. Right now, we, with the historical resources, we haven't actually gone through and looked at what's uh, what fits our business plan and what doesn't. But also what we should be looking at accelerating. So we don't have to do one for Dewey Burdock because that was recently done in 2020. We have Gas Hills, which was recently done in 2021. Uh, we have obviously looked at one, we did Foya Marquez because that was a, a, a one of those low hanging fruit ones we could do relatively quickly. Uh, we're looking at a couple other properties we'll be we bringing in, and then also the properties we're developing in Texas. We'll probably be doing 43101s on those later this year. We're looking at doing one or two a year. We may do a few more this year because we have the data, and it's relative, when you have the data in place, it's relatively inexpensive to get a uh, independent 43101 report done on those, but it allows you to establish your basis for your development. Correct, and so by having that information and knowing what you have, it uh, gives us the ability to plan and ex- execute. So we're doing that right now. That's the paperwork exercise we're doing. Uh, in addition, we're doing field work to confirm. Uh, some of our historical resources, particularly at the Rosita project, Rosita uh, didn't ha- have a lot has not had a lot of recent development. It's been well over you know probably ten years since it's really been looked at hard. We started putting together the information, bringing in not only the database we acquired from Westwater, but also the database we've brought in from uh, acquisitions we've done, and basically built a much bigger picture about what Rosita is, and also what we call our Spring Creek project. And so that's where we're focusing our efforts. So kind of switch gears. You mentioned about getting into Rosita, et cetera. We started a drilling program. So we have already established where the well field's going. It's already an exempted aquifer. So we got the federal process already It's already behind us. Uh, but uh, as we began going through this data, we identified additional roll fronts and additional ore bodies that were never really characterized as quote unquote part of Rosita. And we're, we're, we've acquired the properties through leasing and everything to go after them. And we've started drilling on those right now to build out additional resources to effectively expand the, the resource base at Rosita. And we'll be issuing, we'll probably, we'll be putting a more formal report on that later this year as well. And we have a, a, the Upper Spring Creek project, which we acquired. Uh, we're acquiring in fee and in leasing uh, that we identified through an acquisition of a database from uh, a former operator called Signal Equities, a private company. And uh, we're advancing that as well. We've already started the permitting and licensing work on that, as well as uh, the expansion of Rosita. So we've just got a lot going on that's going to be expanding our resource, but also allowing us to, to increase the robustness of our known resource for the company as a whole to help support our production plan.
0: And Paul, just remind the the audience here on Rosita, obviously some of these, this work you just mentioned, drilling and some of the updated on the resources, all of this is coming into Rosita Restart and gathering up feed for Rosita. But just talk about when you expect to have Rosita at the state where you guys are going to start canning cake.
1: We're looking at 2023. You know, we still have some work to do. On putting in the well field, and I think that's going to consume. Uh, we'll have the plant ready to go before by the end of this quarter. But the uh, the well field is going to take a little bit more time because you have to have drill rigs get get all that put in place, and that's going to take about 12 months. So we're looking at tw- early 2023 at the on the inside as being our uh, our production start at Rosita, and I expect that uh, Upper Spring Creek will be right on the heels of that in a 2023 production timeline. Uh, the main thing we want to do is be able to meet our production obligations with what we have with UG and then be able to expand that to meet our utility contract as well, in addition to UG in 2024. So everything's built around those targets. So, the, you know, obviously the biggest challenge you have is getting drill rigs. And uh, we've we've got one, we've got a second one showing up this month. And uh, we'll be having, hopefully having additional ones coming up, uh, coming in quickly behind us so we can begin executing that. You know, putting in the wells that we need to put in, and establishing all those the uh, preliminary work we have to get set up to go into production.
0: Yeah, that's, that's good to hear. And looking at some of the peers, there's not many people doing this. First of all, and I think there might be one or maybe two peers that that may be able to do something maybe a little bit quicker here. But as far as I know, you guys are the only ones that are actually being serious here, from what I've seen recently. Gas Hills for a moment, Uh, you know, we'll leave Dewey Burdock. I think that's pretty clear for now. But uh, Gas Hills, what do you think is going to be the accelerated focus on Gas Hills?
1: Well, the first thing we'll be doing is uh, we're looking to do a, a limited drilling program out there. So we built into our plans for 2022 is to get a drilling permit. Uh, to go out there and do some drilling to confirm the data we have, but also if we want to do some coring on getting some core done to uh, evaluate the leaching characteristics a little bit better, but also uh, to establish what we need for uh, starting, we have to do a, a state permit, permit to mine and and start the licensing work. Uh, so this will get us the groundwork to get started there. It, it's not going to be it's going to be a a good lift to get the gas hills to production. In other words, it's not my first rodeo on that part. I know what has to be done. I know the people we have to put in place and, and the key elements of that. It's just a matter of executing, getting it started. That'll all be commenced us starting in uh, first quarter 2022. Uh, once we get that going, it'll be a pretty uh, straightforward path to production. And, you know, we're right now, we're kind of looking at 20, you know, getting Dewey Burdock up and running first before we go to Gas Hills. Uh, but who knows, it could be coming on simultaneously or, or however that works out, depending on the timing of the permitting process. So I got a good feeling about gas hills, but before I go put that on paper, I'd like to get a little bit more information.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now in the market conditions as well here. Before we go, how about non-core assets and potential divestment of those assets? Anything on this front of note that you want to mention?
1: Well, we have been looking at divesting some of our non-core assets. As I mentioned, we're looking to become principally an ISR producer, and we don't look to compete in the uh, the conventional spaces. I'm not gonna say we won't, but right now that's not part of our strategy. So uh, we've been looking at opportunities with some of our conventional properties. I believe it was announced a couple of months ago through uh, another entity, uh, I think it was called Evolving Gold, uh, that we are selling our Sede project in Cibola County, uh, New Mexico. That's a former neutron energy asset that uh, came on board. Conventional play, good resources, but uh, we're looking to do typical types of things like that to divest. Uh, there may be other opportunities that are coming up. We're always looking at uh, always evaluating strategies to, to uh, improve the uh, the balance, the, the cash balance of the company, and but also reduce holding costs, uh, but also getting value for these assets, it's not just doing them uh, uh, not doing divestments just for the sake of doing divestments, but where it makes sense. Obviously, we want to, to make sure that if we do divest to, a, that, uh, to somebody else, that there, there's a reasonable financial opportunity for the company there when we do that.
0: Looking forward to seeing what happens there. And I know there's going to be some hungry juniors continuing to knock on the door, looking to do maybe some good deals there that predominantly be in Encore's favor. Well, to wrap up for potential investors uh, who are on the sidelines uh, listening in here, market cap of the company stands at about 482 million Canadian. Why should they consider Encore Energy now at current levels? And this is
1: just strictly my opinion is I think we're still we've still got a lot of room to grow. Uh, I think that uh, our shareholders will see a lot of benefits once we get the NASDAQ listing that uh, we'll see more liquidity, which will improve the opportunity for uh, improved market valuation. We've got a a good solid growth plan going forward that you don't need to wait to get in. You can can, uh, take part in it now. Uh, If you look at our track record in the past, we've actually shown tremendous growth, uh, not only from a, a market share basis, but also are just in what we're actually accomplishing, and we're doing it on a, a good cash-constrained basis to where we're not going out into spending money, our shareholders' money, without some thought and due diligence. And so I think it's a good value uh, right now. I think it's an excellent value right now. And I think in the future, we're going to be a much stronger value to our shareholders that we have today, and I think now is the time to to look at us very hard as a, as an opportunity going forward.
0: Looking forward to seeing more there on that. And uh, certainly, you guys again remain to be one of the most ambitious and most successful companies in the sector. And I think that'll continue. Best way for investors uh, and the audience to reach out to the company with questions.
1: You can go to our website. uh, That's uh, www.encoreuranium.com. We have changed our uh, domain name to make it easier for people to type it in and find us. Or you can send an email to info at EncoreUranium.com or you can call us at our head office at 361-239-5449.
0: Paul, always good to catch up and chat with you. Looking forward to it again and in the meantime keep up the good work.
1: Thanks a lot. Thanks for everything Andrew and uh, best of luck and again Happy New Year.